Why fight it? That's why I just keep using Rogaine. <laughs> My wife's like, it's not doing anything. I'm like, but it's not falling out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it it might not be getting luxuriously thick, but it's staying steady. It's steady yeah. out of here. This is an ad for Rogaine. This week's episode is Rogaine. Don't expect more hair. Just maintain your hair. That's all I want. second season of the Thought Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Wheeler. This episode was recorded at UC's 1819 Innovation Hub, a collaborative space where local businesses can partner with the university's resources and talent. Today, my co-host, Bree Bragg, Lisa Zimmer, and myself are interviewing Justin Leon. Justin has worked in the industrial valve industry for over 10 years and is currently an industrial market manager for Apollo Flow Control. Justin, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, I first wanted to start by talking about um, the company work for Apollo and what do they do to provide some context for our listeners. Okay, so Apollo is a manufacturer of flow control products. We're mostly known for ball valves, butterfly valves, and actuation products. So with what I do at the company, it's um, a lot of things that you see going into like an industrial plant, a chemical plant, a power plant, um, things, things of that nature that, that stop media or or let media flow. What kind of media? We have a wide variety of products, so depending on the media, that's when you select what type of valve you need. So you have different alloys. You have carbon steel, which is gonna be your basic, water, air. You have stainless steel, which is more corrosion resistant. So the, the more acidic media gets, the higher alloy value you need. So that can range from carbon steel, stainless steel, to nickel, to duplex, and these all go up in price, obviously. So the more expensive the valve is, usually the, the more severe and hazardous the media is. So um, walk us through a little bit about what you do for Apollo and uh, maybe talk about your day. Yeah, so, so my title at Apollo is I'm a market manager for the Midwest. I cover the whole Ohio Valley. So I have a territory that's half of Pennsylvania, half of West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio. And every year I get a budget, I'm expected to meet that those goals. So typically I'm traveling 50% of the time, and then the other 50% I'm usually working from home. So when I'm traveling, I'm meeting with distributors that sell our product, end users that use our product, and then engineers that specify our product when they're designing these plants. Um, usually when I'm working from home, it's a lot of Excel, it's a lot of reports, analyzing data, figuring out where the market is on certain products, um, why we're down, why we're up, what, what we can do to, to um, kind of replicate that same scenario in areas where we're down. So that's usually what I'm doing when I'm at home. Um, I also kind of like to do, so we have an inside sales staff that works with me and they do a lot of the quotes, especially the project quotes. But if I'm at home and I have downtime, I still like to kind of fiddle with them. My background was actually working for a distributor, so when I get a lot of the larger quotes, I'll read through the specifications, kind of do my own pricing. Helps me learn our product and our pricing, and keeps you sharp. So Apollo is traditionally in a commercial and residential valve marketplace. As the industrial market manager, what are some of the challenges you face bringing Apollo to a new market? 
Um, you know, I think overall it's just getting in front of the customers and educating them on our products. Uh, my job's easy in the sense that Apollo's been around since 1929. A lot of people in the industry know the name, just don't necessarily know more of the industrial products that we offer. And in 2008, we used to be called Combraco. It was Apollo by Combraco. That was the parent company. And everyone knew Combraco except for what started the whole business. Um, in 2008, we started calling all of our products Apollo, which helped brand recognition. So when I call on a place now and I want to talk to them about industrial products, and I mention Apollo, most people already know that name. And I think that opens up doors for me. And a, a big selling factor for Apollo is 90% of all of our products are made here in the U.S. still. Um, back in the 90s, a lot of these valve manufacturers started shifting all of their manufacturing overseas, mainly to like the Pacific Rim, China, South Korea, Taiwan, these you know, low-cost labor countries, while we kept all of ours here. So most people are willing to listen to you when you say, hey, I have a 100% domestic-made product. And, you know, it's quality. They're willing to pay a little bit more for it. They like the fact that it's made here. So it hasn't been too hard selling the industrial products just because I can get my foot in the door most places just from our brand recognition. Great. So you're the industrial market manager. I'm sure you can start off as a manager. What have been some of the biggest challenges you faced in your career, especially building up your career, and how did you overcome them? <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> I don't know if this is a challenge or not. I think most people that have worked for a significant amount of time with one company all get into this mental rut where you feel underappreciated and you're, you know, you're doing a job that you, you, you feel underpaid on. You get no recognition. You see people that you feel like are, I don't want to use the worst, but aren't as good as you at your job but have more experience. So you see you know, the more experienced older generation get promoted and pay raises. And, and that gets frustrating. So I, I think that was one of my biggest challenges is just trying to get out of the mental rut. Because that's all it is. And, and what I found out over time, it, it, it took me actually quitting a job, going to another company thinking that was going to solve it, and it didn't. And then, so I left a company of 10 years, went to a new company to do the exact same role, um, somewhat of a lateral move. And then I realized, well, I kind of feel the same way. Like, this didn't achieve anything. And now I ended up at Apollo, which is, which is a great company. And what I've learned from that and what I do now at Apollo is when I get in these mental ruts or I feel frustrated, now I talk to my superior, let him know how I'm thinking, and that he can... It's kind of weird, but a lot of times your bosses don't tell you your job. Or, like, you're doing great. So when you bring it up, they actually do. And, uh, you know, and they give you a talk. They sit down. You know, what, what's your goal aspirations? What do you want to do with this company? So I, I think periodically doing that with your supervisor helps a lot just to stay positive. Because no matter where you work, I found out, there's always going to be like a negative person around you. And they are pretty contagious. <laughs> so staying positive is definitely key to being successful and, and being happy with your career. So most of our listeners are students. Um, what is something you wish you would have known as an upcoming graduate student that you know now? A lot of things. <laughs> but, you know, I wasn't necessarily the best student. Uh, you know, I got good enough grades and got a job out of college, which in 2005, not everybody was, was able to do. You know, it wasn't like 
the downturn of 2008 where it seemed like nobody was getting jobs, but still as my first job out of college, definitely wasn't a job that I wanted. And that was fine. At the time, I didn't think it was fine. But in reality, it was fine. It was a good learning curve. Um, the job was a mortgage broker for a company here in town that's defunct now. But it was it took you out of your comfort zone 100%. It was like, here's a bunch of people. We ran their credit scores. This is how much debt they have. We got the okay to do it. Now you go call them. And half the time you call them, like, I didn't give you permission to do this. I'm like, ah. <laughs> like, <laughs> told me told I know they told me we did. And you know, you do that like 40 calls a day, and that's all you do. And then you try to get in front of them one on one meetings, like fresh out of college. And you go meet with people to talk about their finances. I'm like, I'm living at home with my mom and dad's school. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this all about? But it was still, like, I knew I didn't want to do that long, but it was still a good experience, and it was still something I could put on my resume mm-hmm. to go look for other jobs that I was more interested in. And it actually gave me experience now. And like I said, got me out of my comfort zone. And I look back on it, and I'm like, how did I even do this? Like, it sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and that definitely helped. So I guess my suggestion to any new college graduate is, you know, just do something after college. And preferably something that gets you out of your comfort zone because it's gonna just make you a better person. It's gonna help you in the long run too, especially if you interview for other jobs. It makes you feel more comfortable in front of an interviewer. That's always kind of an awkward situation, I think. I mean, what's your strengths? What's your weaknesses? <laughs> Stretches you brought into your little Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, another thing that I wish I would have done and I still haven't done was, I always wanted to go back to school. Maybe not even school in the sense like MBA, but as you get involved in your career, you kind of can figure out what path you're taking, whether that's sales or supply chain or finance or insurance, whatever. There's always these continuing education courses that you can take. Um, so like for me, when I was a project manager, we had the project management professional uh, certificate. And, you know, it's a course you take. I think UC offers it. At, at, I know they offer it. And you take a test and you get this certification and it means something in the project management world. Other than that, it's just probably something you could put behind your name, like, well, not really a doctor, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like that. And I've had the book sitting next to my head for two years, <laughs> sitting here reading to try to go take the test and still haven't done it. And that's what I'm saying. It's better to do it as soon as you get out of college because you get a wife, you get kids. Just there's no time. There really isn't. I get off of work and I pick my daughter up from daycare, come home, give her a bath you know, play, and it's 8 o'clock, and I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not doing anything else for the rest of the day. So uh, doing that is key. Another thing that I found out that I did not do when I graduated was network at all. Um, so part of, like, this PMP, there's a, there's a local chapter here, and they always have, like, speakers and these courses that sometimes are free, but sometimes they cost, you know, it's usually affordable, 20, 30 bucks. But you can meet, and they have bowling, happy hour, so you get around and meet other people in the same profession that you're in. And so what is the PMP? Is that project, like management, project Management Professional. Okay. So there's like a Southwest local chapter here. And then you sign up. It costs like 100 bucks, But you, you sign up and then you're part of the club essentially. So they offer continuing education courses yearly. They have speakers come in here to Cincinnati. They put on once a month a, a networking event. So you're able to go meet other people that do the same thing that you do. What were some unique experiences um, that you've that you've had in your career that 
business school did not prepare you for at all. I mean, there are a couple particular instances that, that come to mind. Um, you know, when I was managing projects, 30, 40 million dollars, and deadlines were tight and time was money, there was some very heated and tense discussions that, you know, I don't know, they say shit rolls downhill. And so it was all rolling towards me and and you can handle it two ways. You can just take it, like nod your head, do the best you can, or you can be vocal and try to argue back. And, and I found out and I got compliments in my career that, you know, just taking the, the verbal lashing, I guess you could say, but taking notes, rectifying it, making it right was the best way to handle it. Because yelling back and getting in these heated discussions with people, uh, it wasn't solving anything. It actually made the situation more tense. So that definitely sticks out. What were some of the things that you've developed they think have been key to your success? Some skills and some um, things that maybe other students can try to work on and start uh, before they start their careers? You know, when I think back to my career, I'm 36, 23, so 14 years I've been working. I noticed that I've developed some pet peeves, but like multitasking is huge. Everything is now, 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 now. I, I go around and meet with people, uh, you know, in their in their 70s, and they were doing the same job in the in the 40s, and they would talk to me about how a mail courier would drop off a request for quote in the mail. They would get it, handwrite the pricing on it in the lead time, and then mail it back out. So like three, four days was normal to get a quote back. Now two hours is considered long. Like they want everything instantaneously. So when I'm going out there meeting with people, and especially people that work under me and my team, you know, I'll, you, you see an email that says urgent. And then I get with her, I'm like, well, what are you doing? She's like, well, I have 10 other emails in front of it. I'm like, oh, it bugs me. Like you have to check all your emails all the time, then you can go back and right click it and then come back to it if it's not important. But you gotta make sure you're addressing the really important ones right away. And I have noticed that some people just aren't good at multitasking. <laughs> and in order to be successful, you have to multitask in today's world. Because everybody wants everything right now. You know, listening, communication, that's big. In the company I work for, everybody that's on my team works remote. I had, there's people that work remotely. One in Cleveland, one in Youngstown, one in uh, Gary, Indiana. And then we have a corporate office. But I don't get to see these people on a regular not even a quarterly basis. So us communicating and picking up the phone and, and even email is key to us doing a job and kind of providing a good customer experience. Everyone's got to be on the same page at all times. Are there challenges to working remotely? I feel like more people, I, I think people argue both ways. I get the sense that the people that work remotely are actually more productive than the people that don't work remotely. There's less small talk, I think they're happier as well. When you can get out of bed, get a cup of coffee, go to your desk, I notice that they, nope, you know, they don't get paid for this time to this time, but I think they're bored because they're at home, they don't have to travel to work, that I always find them up early, working, working later, answering emails. I feel like they're more prone to help the company just because they have the luxury of, you know, not a 30 minute commute to work, a 30 minute commute home. Uh, the only other, the only challenges are, I don't know. Isolation. I mean, do you think like maybe for you, it's 
beneficial because you get 50% of your time you're outside and 50% of the time you're at home opposed to being at home 100% of the time or something like that maybe? What? No, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking more along the lines of <laughs> what? So it's, so we have processes and procedures in place just like every company. And when you're in a team environment all working in one location where you have one supervisor that kind of manages you, uh, that person is hopefully like an expert and can help you as well. So I think the people that work from home feel like they're excluded and they don't have help when they need it. They need to ask for help. If they're overwhelmed, they try to take on everything. Instead of asking the person that's right next to them in an office environment where your supervisor that's in an office environment, like, hey, like, I can't get to this. I'm extremely busy. And I've also noticed that the people that work from home tend to formulate their own policies and procedures. <laughs> you know, they think they know what's best. Where, which it might be, but then again, that comes down to communication. If you think this is the best way to do something, you know, maybe you communicate that back as a team so we can all learn it. But then we keep things in internally and just do it. Do you have any books that you would recommend to any professionals to read? <laughs> I, I am not a reader. Everyone keeps telling me to read more. But, and I tell my wife, I read all the time on the internet. Like, I'm on Facebook 24 7. So Facebook is your Facebook friend. Facebook, the Chime. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you heard of Buzz. <laughs> Pretty good article, it's all real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am on LinkedIn, you know, always trying to interact with people on there, developed a lot of network contacts. And I, I do find that I don't even post anything on, on LinkedIn, but when I'm bored, even just sitting at home, I'll flip through it. And somebody's always sharing an interesting article. And it actually helps me out a lot for my job, as opposed to just like reading some book that is a self-help book that would possibly, you know, most likely help me. These articles I'm reading on LinkedIn, I think, help me in my sales position because they give me talking points. You know, if I'm reading about a GM plant that's closing in Toledo, well, they're a big user of our vows, and so I'm going in there and talking to them and read the article. I feel like I have something to talk about. Maybe it's not like I'm an expert in it, but I'm at least aware of it. So I'm always reading about just business articles, more or less in the industry I'm in, but also in the area that I travel. So you know, it's always good to make small talk. Don't want to talk business like with everybody. Yeah. So you know, that's what I'm reading most of: CNN, ABC News. If I had to think of a book, though. The Dale Carnegie book, which is like a classic, How to Win People and Influence Others, is that what it's called? Win Friends and Influence Others, yeah. That's the one I read right out of college and lost it because I moved so many times since college. <laughs> but I keep needing to go back and read that because it's, you know, I think it's actually categorized as a self help book and it's been around since the 30s or 40s. But I think after you read that, you, you feel really empowered. Like you're ready to take on the world, you're ready to be the best you can be. So that's always a good book. I think just that's handy. Just like I said before, you get that mental rut. Go read one of their, you know, twelve topics that he talks about or a section. No, that's a great book. It's uh, that was one of the first books I read um, when I started becoming a project manager. Mm -hmm. um, and really, it's if you don't like selling, if you think selling is what a used car salesman does, read that book. It'll completely change your perspective on the way to sell people because um, it's not about uh, giving someone a product is about uh, finding a solution to a problem they have. Mm -hmm. And to me, you're helping people uh, when you're selling. Yeah. And that's what that book talks about. It's a great book, yeah. So I, I would definitely recommend that one. I would just have it in your repertoire anyway to mm -hmm. go back and 
read whenever you feel like it. It's not boring. <laughs> no, that's pretty short too. So yeah, it's an easy read. So you talked about um, how you really have an interest in networking, and I wanted to know if there were any processes or things that have made it easier for you to network. I find that a lot of times that's a big scary word for a lot of people. I mean, you know, who are in school now and everybody kind of needs a network. So I'd like to know if you have any tips. There's always a local organization. You, you might use Google a lot to find out, you know, whatever, if you're in management for, for school, find out whatever you're in school for, whatever your major is, whatever your interests are. Google that, you can find some organizations. I found it earlier in my career, it was easier to go in with a, with a friend and just feel a hundred times more comfortable. But then even after that, I moved a lot right after college. I moved to a really, really small town in Indiana called Vincennes on the Illinois border. So I was 25 years old, single in a town of 17,000 and it was miserable. But at the same time, they still had like different organizations to be part of. So I found myself networking by myself. And then as I moved from there to Louisville, then to Chattanooga, then back to Louisville, I was by myself a lot. So networking was one of the only ways I had to make friends. And at that point, moving to a city where you didn't know. So the more you do it, the more you feel comfortable. And I think nowadays, I mean, there's meetup and some other things as well that you know, it's friendship type meetup. And then there's also business related that meetup in your hobbies and interests. So I would do those a lot. I mean, different towns that I went to, cities that I moved to. So you're saying to develop that skill, you just, just move, move somewhere far away from anywhere. Yeah. Middle of nowhere. <laughs> just pack them and move. <laughs> just give it a shot. Um, have you seen networking culture change from the time you graduated college to now? Or the way people network or just networking in general? I mean, social media makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are on LinkedIn. I still have people email me or message me on LinkedIn that have my phone number and my email. I'm like, contacting me through LinkedIn? There's like 10 other ways that are more preferable than this. But I do notice that people, especially younger people, use that as their, I don't really consider that networking. You know, you you hit a button and say, connect to this person. And then for my job, at least, the the response, I hardly get any responses. If I'm going to go out there and try to sell a network, and just send somebody a message via LinkedIn. They probably get, if they're a decision maker at a big company, probably a bunch of those. So you're just in the weeds and you're throwing darts, hoping one sticks. <laughs> but so I have noticed a lot of younger people definitely do that. But even when you get in these networking clubs, in college it was all young people. Now I'm 36 and I feel like I'm one of the younger ones. There's a lot of an older generation that I think are very intrigued by wanting to mentor and help younger college graduates. So I have noticed that beyond just networking, the more experienced seasoned professionals are showing up more and more nowadays to, I think, try to mentor, I mean, they, they like it. They, they, they want to mentor the young people and they like to see them succeed. All right, thanks for being here, Justin. Yeah. Don't sound so excited. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I was a little nervous to You know, I've never done anything like this. I told Alyssa I was like, that's my wife. She's like, wait, you're going to go to a podcast or MBA soon. She's like, they're all going to be smarter than you. I was, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's what it's about. Like, I'm not going in there. Having worked with Justin one on one before, I definitely know that we are all smarter than him. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thought Leadership Podcast. If you would like to know more about Justin Leon or Apollo Flow Control, please see our show notes. If you would like to know more about 1819 Innovation Hub, please visit www.uc1819.edu. Please tune in to our next episode where we interview Carla Walker, CEO and founder of Think Big Strategies. Thank you. Thank you.